that's in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a, 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 a long sermon or it is a series of sermons in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it means to live into the kingdom. And even even as uh, you have the image of one of our key staff members who has served this church, leaving our church in order to continue to serve the kingdom of God, she is a disciple, and yet she is a sent one. Valencia has been a disciple of Christ. She has been serving, and now God is calling her to move, to go out, and to continue to serve the kingdom of God, Jesus, when he speaks to his disciples, is, is, is talking to a group of people who have been called to be disciples and at the same time called to be sent out. And, and he is preparing them for their ministry. And in preparing them for their ministry, he preaches several messages. And, and inside these chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are what Jesus says about God's rule, God's God's reign and God's kingdom. Now, I'll encourage some of you to look through this. It'll take maybe 20, 25 minutes to read through it after church some point this week. Look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you'll see a thread in those chapters and in those messages, and it is a thread of prayer. Prayer is not peripheral to the teaching. Prayer is not on the fringes of the teaching. Prayer is right in the middle of what Jesus is teaching and preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It is primary to his teachings because it is primary to the life of Jesus' followers. The, the, The Christian spiritual life has in the middle of it, has underneath it, active relationship with God that is built through communicating with God. Some of you heard me say a few years ago when I came to New Community, I made a kind of confession. I was looking at some passage and mentioned the Lord's Prayer, and, uh, and I told you uh, that, that I was uh, at one point leading a funeral. And I was at the, I had already preached a funeral. That was done. We were at the graveside service, uh, which is where the casket is sitting and about to be lowered. And there's kind of a small service at the graveside. And one of the things that the officiating minister can do is lead the family and the friends in prayer. And, you know, you can kind of preach another sermon if you like, or you can just kind of, um, you know, go through uh, a short ritual. And so uh, part of my practice was to sort of have the family gather and sort of invoke uh, the model of prayer that our Lord Jesus left us with. And I said to them, I said, repeat after me uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I started into the prayer, our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, and they're repeating after me. And somewhere after about forgive our debts, I forgot the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, you know, if you're a preacher, you're not supposed to forget the Lord's Prayer, number one. Uh, And number two, if you have people repeat it after you, you're supposed to know kind of where you're going and what you're saying, right? And so I forgot the the Lord's Prayer, and this was a first for me. And uh, to my left and to my right was a missionary. Uh, There were mothers in the church, missionaries. And uh, and mother mother to my right kind of saw me stumble. And, you know, this really wasn't the moment where you could kind of 
recover. I didn't want to make up words for the prayer, you know. Uh, so, you know, and, 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 I'm, and I'm seeing this happen. I'm getting to the phrases I'm remembering. But, you know, you don't really think too quickly when there's a coffin in front of you and people are crying. So I, and I kind of get tongue-tied, and I forget, and I kind of look, and I'm thinking, there's a casket. She doesn't, she ain't going to help me, you know. And so mother, mother kind of, mother kind of recovers from me and kind of gives me the words. And, uh, and, and I forgot the Lord's Prayer. And ever since then, whenever I am teaching or preaching on the Lord's Prayer, it is printed in front of me. I will not talk about the Lord's Prayer because I don't have a mother or missionary. Mama's here today and Miss Lily's here today. But if I forget something, they're probably not going to help me, you know. So maybe they would, but I got it printed just in case, you know. I don't imagine Alan's going to help me either, so... And, and, and this, despite my forgetting this model of prayer that Jesus leaves his disciples, it's important. Um, my forgetfulness then uh, is no clue toward the importance of not just this particular prayer, but that prayer is important for Christians, for followers of Jesus, to be in relationship, to be in friendship with God, to be in communication with God is natural for followers of Jesus because it is the most natural posture for Jesus himself. Jesus being in a conversation, in a prayerful relationship with God is his most natural posture. He says in the scriptures that he and the Father are one. He says that people, when they receive him, receive the one who sent him. He says to us over and over again that the relationship that he has with God is so open and so sacred and so transparent. And our relationships as followers of this Savior ought to be the same. And that comes through a life of the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. As we go to Matthew 6 in a second, I'm going to ask you, uh, particularly those of you who are a part of this church, to bring to this message, to bring to this passage all that you know about Jesus' teaching, about what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, because you can't divorce what Jesus says about prayer from what he says in the rest of the sermon. I can't give you all of a summary of what the Sermon on the Mount is, won't do that. But prayer is a part of it. It's underneath it. And so prayerfully think through how God might be pulling prayer in front of you and maybe to the center of your life as I preach to you this morning. Think through prayerfully whether the Spirit of God is pulling you to, to, to take prayer from the fringes of your life to a primary place in your life. So look at Matthew chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. If not, look on the screen here above me. And I'm going to ask you uh, to read this passage. We'll read uh, verses 5 through 13. I'll start with you, but since I have other things to say, I'll drop out and you keep reading. For you fast readers, slow down. And for you slow readers, uh, don't be so slow. Uh, Okay, let's read. When you pray, don't be like... 
Hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Y'all use your best voice. We're reading the scriptures. I'm not going to have you stand like they do in some traditions, but sound like you're standing as you read the scripture. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners. Now, just in case some of you are thinking when I gave them this slide, I forgot a passage of the prayer I did not. Um, I don't know where that phrase, sees everything, will reward you went, but it's in the prayer too. Um, and this comes from the English Standard Version. So obviously it's a, it's, it's a different one that some of us are familiar with. This morning, I want to give you two sort of words to describe this passage and, uh, and I'm going to talk about one part of the prayer, and then I'll be done. And the first, the word that I want to suggest that Jesus is, is um, that, that will kind of capture what Jesus is doing in this passage, is that Jesus offers a word of correction. Jesus puts the example of religious leaders in front of his disciples and he says to them, while there may be many things about these leaders that you imitate or that you mimic, I don't want you to have the kind of prayer life that they have. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners or in the synagogue. He says to to his followers that they have all the reward they will ever get. These leaders, these ones who pray publicly, who love to pray publicly, really are praying for the reward of people. They're praying so that people will reward them. And and they are more concerned about being heard by people than they are being known by God. And that is the point of prayer. If you're trying to wonder what is prayer all about, prayer's purpose is for you and I to be known by God. The point of us praying is for us to speak to God, hear God, in order to be known by God. And, and Jesus is saying to his disciples that, the, that the, the, the religious leaders need to be corrected not for how they're praying and not for their technique because they're praying publicly, but they, they need to be corrected because of their motives. He's saying that their motives are not uh, in accordance with being known by God. There are things uh, that they are doing in the way of prayer that are for someone other than for God. 
He's correcting his disciples. He's correcting us. And he's suggesting, I think, as we come to this model of prayer, that we could live for others. We could live for someone else. We could live for something else. We could live for the reward of people, and that would be all we would get. Or we could live to be known by God. And, and I want to ask you, church, if, if you are living for God, if you find yourself uh, giving your time, giving your energy, giving your emotions over to someone other than God, because if you are, you are your, your practice of prayer is probably following you. you. You are probably not just living for the approval of uh, your parents or the approval of your spouse or the approval of those significant people in your life, you are probably praying actively for that same approval. And Jesus says to his disciples, a word of correction, don't pray like that. So he offers a word of correction. He says that their prayers are trying to get them the love of people. Will you think for a moment about your love? We talk a lot about the love of God. We talk about a God loving us. Um, but but just, just for about five seconds, think about how you love God. Think about whether you love God. Because if we love God, and of course, the love we have for God has to come from God. We can't manufacture and sort of create love for God. How do you do that? But if we are seeking after the love of God, it means that people's words and people's approval and people's estimates of our lives and the way people value us or don't value us matter Less and less. He offers a word of correction about their motive and about their love. But the second thing that Jesus offers in this text is a word of description. He um, corrects his, um, his counterparts and he tells his disciples how not to pray. And then he offers them something positive. He describes praying and he says to them, but when you pray, go away by yourself. And, 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 and he talks about a door. He says, shut the door behind you. Pray to the Father uh, in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. Now, now, don't think that Jesus is saying something against repetition in your prayers. He's not saying that you can't say the same word or the same phrase in your prayers. He's not speaking against uttering the same word over and over again. He is talking basically about motivation in this text. He's not saying there is a particular formula for praying, like you have to say a prayer this way. He's not talking about 
repetition here. He's talking about motive and he's talking about a reward for motivation. And he seems to say that prayer is a personal activity, that it is something that you do that is really personal. And uh, in a couple of days, we are having corporate prayer. And, and it would be a mistake to think that Jesus is talking against corporate prayer. There are passages of Scripture where he invites his disciples to pray together, to gather together. This is not a passage about corporate prayer. Uh, this is a passage about personal prayer. This is a passage to his disciples about how and whether they pray themselves. And uh, Nathan said, uh, if you're the praying type, come to pray. I want to echo that and say, even if you're not the praying type, you're not only invited, you need to show up on Wednesday night uh, so that we can pray together. So all y'all come Wednesday night. I know all y'all not going to come, but I'm going to tell you to come anyway. All right. 730 Wednesday night. Now, that's corporate prayer when we gather together on Wednesday night. But Jesus is not talking about about corporate prayer. And he's saying to his disciples, uh, I'm not going to take away from gathering with others, but I am going to lift up this value of you praying on your own. One doesn't take away from the other. And what we'll find in a moment is that one actually feeds into and strengthens the other. He assumes that his disciples are praying. He's talking to a group of Jewish men uh, and Jewish women, and he knows that they gather together uh, throughout the year for prayers. He knows that he accompanies his disciples to the synagogues for praying with other believers. And so this is not about corporate prayer. This is about him saying certain people gather in public and with others to pray, but they don't pray on their own. So I'm going to teach you how to do that. He tells them to find a room to close the door so that they can pray. He says that they may not be seen by people, but according to him, the father sees them and being seen by the father takes more precedence than them being seen by anyone else. He says that God knows all of the things that they will pray so so that their words don't have to be so precise and so important and so impressive because their words don't impress God anyway. He says to them, when you pray, go off to yourself, close the door, get someplace private. Now, this is a model of prayer, and there are many other models in Scripture, so I'm offering one to you. This is one way to pray. You don't have to close a door uh, when you pray. I don't have doors in my house, and so if I wanted to pray at home, it would be really difficult. Well, I have a door in the bathroom, but... Uh, I don't believe in being in a bathroom very long, so uh, I can't pray. That was too much, right? Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it's too late now. Um, Daniel, perhaps you can edit that out of the podcast. Maybe tell Ellen to take that out. Um, so, so Jesus isn't talking about doors. You know, if you're in a room like this and you're off to the side, he's not saying you have to go find a door to close it in order to pray. But he is saying something about pulling yourself away from distractions that will take away from this personal practice of prayer. So even if you're sitting in your car and you're in the middle of traffic, um, uh, maybe the door is already closed, I guess, and you can pray. Jesus is saying, find a place and a posture for you 
to turn your heart to God. What you say is less important than the posture of your heart. And he goes into how the Father knows everything well, that the Father knows what they will say. And, uh, and, and, and I want to tell some of you uh, who, who are thinking about prayer, maybe you've, been, uh, maybe you've been convicted to strengthen your prayer life, maybe you're uh, journeying alongside somebody else and you're learning new ways to pray. You don't have to say, I was talking to somebody uh, in our church after worship the other week and said, you know how you say prayers and you just kind of make a mistake. You don't have to say the right things because God already knows what's in your head. So even if you don't say anything, God already knows, the psalmist says, your thoughts from afar off. So you could be praying and not saying anything. That's a different kind of prayer. For now, let me give you some questions to ask. Um, As you look at this text, maybe as you read the Sermon on the Mount, as you think about this way of praying, and if you find yourself answering no to these, uh, don't get tripped up in guilt, but do ask the Spirit of God to quicken you toward change, to show you how to act, to show you how to pray differently. There are four questions that I'll give you. The first one is, am I praying privately? Jesus offers this word of correction. He offers this word of description. He says, don't pray like people who are motivated for the love and praise of people. Um, But then he offers a way to pray. And the first question is, is am I praying privately? Am I praying in my own time the same way that I would pray if I'm around other people? Some of you are in small groups. And so you pray around around the circle in your small group. And, And the question for you when you pray, some of you hold the microphone here and pray. Or you pray throughout our worship services. Are you praying in a way consistent publicly as with your private life. Am I praying privately? The second question, am I praying simply? Now, what I mean by simply here is you praying uh, in a language that is uh, simple for you. Some of us use one-syllable words. Some of us use three-syllable words. It does not make your prayer simple for you who use three-syllable words to push yourself to use one-syllable words. Praying simply is praying out of your heart the language that uh, you pray in. Am I praying simply? Number three is, am I praying honestly? Honest prayer is prayer that doesn't cover up. Honest prayer is prayer that exposes you, that opens you up, that makes you more transparent. It is prayer that allows you to speak to God, to talk to God about you and about how you really are. It does not sugarcoat. It does not cover you up. It leaves you open and exposed. Am I praying Honestly, and number four, am I praying regularly? Regular prayer is prayer that is consistent. There's a pattern and a habit to your prayer. Am I praying in a way that whenever I do pray with others, it, 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 it feels comfortable to me? It feels comfortable to me not because I'm a master at talking to God or I'm I'm excellent when it comes to hearing God's voice, but it's comfortable to me because I know what it means to be in the in the in the um 
the, the, the acknowledged presence of God. It's comfortable to me because I know when I am aware of God's presence because I have been praying. I have been praying. I have been praying. Am I praying privately, simply, honestly, regularly? Jesus is going to give us language for prayer, uh, and we'll just take one part of this prayer for today and the next part next week. But remember that the language of the prayer is secondary. See, that God knows uh, your best words, and God doesn't expect uh, certain words from you when you pray. When we pray, we don't pray to inform the God who Jesus says is our Father. We pray to hear God and to allow God to form us. We pray not necessarily to say certain things or run down long lists, but we pray so that God can speak to us about our sinfulness and about the access that we have to great grace. We pray so that we can hear the Spirit saying to us again the truth about who we are. God knows who God is. We don't always know who we are. So Jesus describes this model of prayer. He gives his disciples this way of praying. He tells them to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two points, and I close up shop for today. Jesus is giving, I think, um, what is for him the most intimate language when he teaches his disciples how to pray. And he says to them, pray like this. And the first thing he says is our Father. Now, I know that for some of you, the language is tricky. Um, I hear a lot of people, and I, I heard this a lot in classes in seminary. I hear this from time to time when people talk about their way of praying, that the language of father is immediately difficult for them. It's a stop for them. Um, and so they're really thankful that God is talked about in other ways in Scripture, and they use those other ways to approach God in prayer. And I understand that, and I get that, and there are reasons for that. But what, but, and some of you are here today, and you kind of nod in your, head, in your heart and in your head, and you say, yeah, that would, that would be me. And what I want to say to you in as careful a way I can is that when Jesus tells his disciples um, how to pray, and when he says to them to call God Father, he is not concerned with a, a title for God. 
He's not trying to, to push them a title, upon them a title for God. Now, it's biblical and it's appropriate for us to call the triune God Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. It is biblical. God is Father throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament. That is a consistent name for God. The Son, we talk about Jesus as the Son. We talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. It's appropriate. Um, and yet, the triune language, the, the language of the Trinity, the language of God in the New Testament is not about titles for God. The language here that Jesus gives to us as his church is language of relationship. He is saying to us that when we pray, we get to approach the one that he knows most intimately and most closely as Father. He's not even uh, getting to where we are. He's not trying to step into our shoes, into our experiences of our good fathers or bad fathers or great fathers or terrible fathers. He's not even dealing with you. He's giving you something. He's giving you and me access to a more perfect, a more beautiful relationship. And that is the relationship that he has with his father. And he says that the Father, hear this, and this is the point, is ours. I think that this language is um, a restatement of the gospel. This prayer, the first two words of it, opens to us the good news that the Father of Jesus is not just Jesus' father, but he's yours too. That, that, that you who doesn't have the perfect relationship has the perfect father. That you who, uh, I have to be careful, Jillian told me I get too loud, um, uh, but, but I'm going to get loud through here, and then I'm going to calm down. You who uh, does not have the kind of rapport, the kind of friendship, the kind of communion with God that Jesus does, has the same relationship that Jesus has with his Father. He says that you can call God what I call God. Now, for those of us who have jacked up histories and we know we don't deserve to call God Father, we get really excited about this point because we look at our lives and we say, I could call God a whole lot of things, but I don't earn the right to call him mine. And Jesus says, even before the cross, even before he goes to that hill called Calvary, he says to his disciples, when you pray, let me show you the vision that I have for the rest of your life. You can call God what I call God. We do well to look back at the scriptures and to, and to see how Jesus has talked about his relationship with his father. And so uh, look at a couple of verses with me uh, as Jesus gives his disciples and gives us a way of talking about God the Father. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27, he says, All things have been committed to me by my father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Matthew 28 and 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so that everything on heaven and earth has been given to me. Again, talking about the God uh, who gives him this. John 10 and uh, 30 says, I and the Father are one. John 16 and 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And lastly, John 17, 25 and 26. He's praying. This is Jesus' prayer. uh, John 17, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the Jesus who in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, when he teaches his disciples, when he preaches a long sermon on prayer, this is the Jesus who says, you get to call God what I call God. God who gave me all authority. That's the one you get to call Father. God, the one who is righteous. God, the one who the world does not know. You get to call that God your Father. The God who I say I am one with. You get to call Father. Jesus knew how you'd act when he laid this message down before his disciples. Jesus knew how you would behave when he preached this sermon on the mount. Jesus knew how you would fail when he told his disciples, you get to call God Father. Jesus knew whether you would misstep or whether you would step correctly. Jesus knew whether you would believe the right things or the wrong things. Jesus knew where your heart would be today and where it would be six months from now. And he said, you get to call God Father. When you pray, all that Jesus has access to in his permanent and eternal loving relationship with God, he gives to us and he says, you get that too. That, friends, ought to change the way you pray. That, my brothers and sisters, should change how often you pray. That, my, my, my friends, should change whether or not you even want to pray. Because when there is a script in your mind called a memory, you, you have to meet your own life and your own unworthiness with this truth that Jesus says, your worthiness never mattered. My worthiness mattered because you can't give yourself the relationship that is mine to give. It is my relationship with the Father, and I give it to you, and you get to say, our Father. Now, as wonderful as that is, the discipleship that he calls these folks to and that he calls us to is not romantic. It's not completely blissful 
Because if you get to call God Father, if the relationship that Jesus has with his Father is extended to us, the will of God the Father that Jesus picks up and carries in his own life is the will that we pick up and carry in our lives. If we get to, to, to own and claim the benefits of Jesus' relationship with his Father, we get to pick up and claim the sacrifices that come with Jesus' relationship with his Father. And the way that looks, my friends, in Scripture is talked about in the language of the prayer, the kingdom. Jesus is preaching about a kingdom. He's preaching about God's rule and reign. And, 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 and I, I, I love what Eugene Peterson says about prayer. He says that prayer is not, where, uh, it's not the place where you get your curiosity satisfied. It is where we establish continuities with Jesus' life. It's not on the slide. I'll say it again. The place of prayer is not where our curiosity is satisfied. It is where we establish continuities with Jesus' life. Prayer is not where you go when you want God to do something. Prayer is where you go when you want God to do something through you. Prayer is not this resigned activity where you lift up your hands and say, I give it all over to you, God, because there's nothing I can do. It's the place where you go with your hands open and say, God, is there something that I'm not doing that you're calling me to? Prayer is not an activity where you say there is nothing for me to pay attention to. It is an activity that opens your ears and opens your heart and says, God, I could be wrong about this. Change me if you need to. It's not where your curiosity is satisfied. It's the place where you go to live a life next to Jesus. Say the word kingdom. Second, second word. Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom. And the Lord of the kingdom is subject to the kingdom. Jesus, who is Lord, is putting himself uh, in submission to the kingdom. Now, I read a, a, a chapter this week that I think sort of nails this, and we talk about kingdom of God a lot in our church, and so you hear that if, you, if you've seen the old podcast, uh, that teaching and that language is in the history of our church. Um, it's in the, in the current life of our church. We talk a lot about what it means to be a kingdom people and what it means to um, be in submission to the kingdom of God. And I, I hope whether you're familiar with how we talk about it or whether you're not, you will, you will find this quote helpful. It's from a pastor in Minnesota named Gregory Boyd. And uh, he says that when the kingdom is manifested, it's rather obvious. It looks like people individually and collectively mimicking God. It looks like Calvary. 
It looks Christian whether it identifies itself as such or not. When people are coming under others to love and serve them without regard to how much or how little those others deserve it and without regard for their own interests and reputation, the kingdom of God has come. The prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. I think that language of keeping the name of God holy is a whole sermon in and of itself. I'm not going to go there. I have two things to say. One is about our Father. The other is about the kingdom. But if I had something else to say, it would be about how we keep the name of God holy. I'm not going to talk about keeping the name of God holy. But we need, I think... To, to sit with the name of God in a way that we usually don't. We talk about God so casually. And holiness is not, I said I wasn't going to talk about it. Holiness is not, a, it, it's not an altogether mystical experience, holiness. Holiness is carnal. It's flesh. You can touch Holiness. You can imagine holiness. You can envision holiness. And when it comes to God's holiness, the image that we have of God being holy is Jesus. So I'm not going to talk anymore about trying to keep the name of God holy. But I want you to sit with that and sort of ask God, how in my life can I keep the image of Jesus, the name of God, holy? Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. Holy God who is our Father. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Gregory Boyd says that the kingdom, it's not invisible. He goes into how the kingdom is visible. What it looks like is an image of Jesus. He, he, it looks like Jesus, he says. And so when Jesus offers these prayerful words for us to pray, may your kingdom come, what we are asking for is for Jesus to come. When we pray like this, we are asking that, that Jesus, that Calvary, that uh, suffering, that uh, the will of God, us uh, submitting to it, that love are embodied in our lives, on earth, in our relationship, in the same way that it is in heaven. Now, does that make sense to you? Now, now, now um... This language of in heaven, let me just say what that is and what that isn't. That, that isn't some excuse to try to act like God is not on earth, um, like God is not here with us. The language of in heaven is the best language that Jesus and his audience can relate to as they hear this story and this sermon. It's the best language they can relate to, to, to the place where God is most noticeable. So may your kingdom come here just like it is in the place, God, where you are most noticeable. Just like your kingdom, your rule, your purpose, your plan is most noticeable where you are. Would you allow your kingdom to come right now in me in that way? You know how this looks? 
This looks like you're having a fight with your spouse. This looks like you're having a fight with your spouse. You're having not just a conflict, but a fight. And let's just say you're the one who's right. You're the one who's right. And when I have a fight, I'm always the one in my house who's right, so this fits. So, so let's just say I have a... It's true. It's true. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Uh, I have a fight. I have a fight. You have a fight. And this is how it looks. Your kingdom come right now. Right now like it is where you're most noticeable. What does the kingdom of God coming in the middle of me being right and you being wrong and you being grossly wrong, what does the kingdom of God look like? If the kingdom of God looks like Jesus, if it looks like all that Jesus does and is, it changes how you fight. It like pulls the fight out of fight. It does. I mean, have you, have you ever tried? Okay, let's, everybody's not married. Let's just say most of y'all, somebody has liked enough to call you girlfriend or boyfriend. For those of you who haven't, we'll pray for you over by the cross later today. Um, that was a joke, visitors. I'm much more caring and gentle than that. Most of us have had significant others in our life. And, you know, you just you, you get upset with them. And when the kingdom comes in the context of a relationship with people you're upset with, it looks like you putting someone else before you. It's not, it's not all that profound, but that's exactly what Jesus does. His entire existence is about putting you before him, about putting us before him, about putting the earth, about putting the universe that needs to be restored and renewed and redeemed before him. It looks like you're going to work tomorrow morning and dealing with that coworker who is crazy. I mean, who everybody knows is crazy. It's not even a question. And you sort of, sort of finding a way for Calvary to get located in your conversation. Not to object, not, not to sort of lose reality and say you're not crazy because you're crazy. You're crazy. But the Calvary comes for crazy people. Seeking the kingdom of God in prayer is seeking to put at the center of our lives what Jesus places at the center of his life. And he does not place his own needs at the center of his life. He says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, Carlton. This looks like questions. And some of those questions are simply, God, what does it, what does it look like where your presence is most felt? God, what is happening where people really get that you're present? That's, that's what this prayer sounds like in my lips, in, in my mouth. It sounds like me saying, God, uh, before I say this or before I answer this or before I respond to this or before I act in this way or before I prepare for this or before I don't do that, would you tell me where you are most visible so that I can act like you're most visible right here? so that I can sense your presence in your kingdom. 
You don't, you don't preach about a prayer without allowing people time to pray. So I know my message is shorter. They're getting shorter. And I'm doing that intentionally. One, because it's hot. Two, today, because I want you to have some time to do this. Just to, to call God yours. And to ask God for his kingdom to come. And so over the next moment or two before, I've already asked Carlton, he's on his post, but before everybody else moves, everybody just kind of gets a moment to, in your own way, get closer to the most intimate language with God that you can. Maybe you can't say that God is Father, maybe not yet, but can you say, God, you're mine. I can claim that. Can you find a way to ask God for a kingdom that looks like Jesus to come into your life? Take a few moments.